Good news. My new book is almost here. It's called Handbook for the Heartbroken, A Woman's Path from Devastation to Rebirth. And while it doesn't officially come out with Sounds True until May 7th, you can pre-order it now. And when you do, you'll receive up to $500 in additional gifts and resources to support you on your healing journey. I wrote this book because in the four-year span between 2016 and 2020, I experienced serial heartbreaks that rocked every area of my life, health, relationships, finances, career, social status, and even my very identity. Along the way, I experienced firsthand just how dysfunctional our culture's relationship to loss really is. I saw how we live in a heartbreak illiterate world that's obsessed with success, shackled with isolation, and ignorant of how valuable our suffering can be for our growth and evolution, not only as individuals, but as a species. So this book expands the conversation around grief and loss beyond just breakups and bereavement, although we cover those too, to include falls from grace of all kinds, personal, professional, and collective. This includes the end of a relationship or job, death of a loved one, a natural disaster or a war, infertility, abortion, or a financial crisis. Also, when we're going through hard times, we're encouraged at every turn to hurry up and get on with it. But by trying to power through these messier seasons of life, we're denying ourselves the very answers to our healing and growth. Whether you're experiencing hardship right now, or you know that you have past hurts that are holding you back and still need healing, this book will support you. Handbook for the Heartbroken will show you that it's only through fully turning toward your heartbreak with support, courage, and compassion that you can heal. Within the loving pages of this book, you'll have full permission to fall apart and slowly, organically, find your way back to greater wholeness. I'm truly excited to share this with you. You can download your free chapter now and pre-order the book to receive all those bonuses at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. That's handbookfortheheartbroken.com. I also want to add that pre-ordering the book now is the very best way that you can support me as an author and the health of this book when it enters the world in May. It signals to booksellers to stock the book at that time and in turn, make it available to more people who need it. So thank you for your pre-orders. Thank you for your support. And I look forward to continuing to deepen together in this important conversation over the coming months. Hello, beautiful women. Welcome to She Talks, a space for you to come home to your inner wisdom, which I call your she. I'm Sarah Von Stover, a yoga and meditation teacher, best-selling author, and founder of The Way of the Happy Woman. And I'm really honored to welcome you to a new season on our podcast called The Heartbreak Diaries. Now, heartbreak is a harsh but incredibly powerful spiritual teacher. It pulls the rug out from underneath us and asks us to find our footing amidst the free fall. It shatters us and demands we piece ourselves back together, more whole and holy than ever before. As I've weathered a massive series of heartbreaks over the past year and a half, I've realized that one of the most painful pieces of grief is often the isolation it brings. 
So I'm on a mission to help shift this by creating a safe space where women can share not only the highs of our lives, but more importantly, the lows. To help us find a sense of community in our struggles and to give voice to the losses that we often grieve in silence, I've created the special interview series called The Heartbreak Diaries. Over the next couple weeks, I'll share four intimate interviews with women who've weathered intense heartbreak and come out the other side even stronger. From growing older to the sudden death of a beloved, from baby loss to divorce and the loss of a parent, these brave women will open up about some of the toughest chapters of their lives and exactly what they did to be transformed by them on every level. Beyond being a safe space to speak up and share about our losses, this series has another purpose. It honors the opening of a new course that I've been working on for the past year called Healing from Heartbreak, Transform Through the Wild Wisdom of Grief. This gentle, guided, four-week heroine's journey is the exact course that I wish I'd had during my own heartbreaks. It gathers all the resources, all the tools that I've had to piece together on my own, and I'm offering it to you in one place to help us heal and grow into more human and honest versions of ourselves with the community support and tools we need to make it through our darkest days. As I've learned to befriend rather than fear my grief over these past couple of years, I've discovered that weathering it well requires a truly compassionate and integrative approach. So we start on June 7th, and there's a special gift for any woman who joins us early before May 30th. And you can learn more at thewayofthehappywoman.com forward slash healing dash from dash heartbreak. So grab your tissues, get comfy, and enjoy this intimate interview as part of our Heartbreak Diaries. Hello again. Wow, today's interview is really a powerful one. And I want to caution you that it is could be potentially disturbing if you are pregnant, if you lost a baby in your womb, if you're wanting to get pregnant or trying to get pregnant right now. And we also use a little bit of graphic language at different times. So if there are children around, you don't want to have them around as you're listening to this. And All that said, I do think this is a really important story for women to hear. It's a story that we don't often hear. And usually stories of baby loss are kept in the shadows. And it's very, every woman's journey is very particular. Some stories are meant to be public. Some stories are meant to stay private and just for oneself. And Meryl is really on a mission to tell her story and to provide support to women who have been through something similar. So some things about Meryl, a little bit of personal disclosure. I worked with Meryl in a therapeutic setting last year after my former fiance and I separated and I was 
reeling with trying to process the depth of betrayal that I discovered at the time of our separation and working through a lot of intense grief, a lot of intense anger. I guess you could even say rage, not just anger, intense rage and reclaiming the parts of myself that I had lost or that I felt had been denied from me through living in a deceitful situation for, you know, a couple of years. And Meryl really specializes in working with women in these capacities and working through grief, working through anger, using ritual, really reclaiming one's own intrinsic instinctive knowing. And I'm so grateful to have had the chance to work with Meryl and to be in her presence. And she has also come in to speak with the She School, which is our nine-month spiritual practice community for women. And she led a class on rituals for releasing grief and anger. I think that grief and anger are the hardest things for us to feel, much less express and own as women. So I'm really trying to shine light on this area for all of us. And actually that class that Meryl taught is part of our Healing from Heartbreak curriculum. I'm sharing that that audio. And in Healing from Heartbreak, Meryl is also sharing some rituals around grief for processing grief. And it's really Meryl who taught me the power of grief and led me to really dive into it and to discover its gifts, which I'm still discovering. I think it's grief is something that we move in and out of throughout our entire lives. And I'm going to be discovering more about it for the rest of my life. But I really took on this assignment or am taking on this assignment. All right. So with all that said, um, just get ready for a, a really powerful real, painful, um, authentic, redemptive story from Meryl. And she really touches on everything from struggling to get pregnant to single motherhood to miscarriage, which she renames baby loss. And I, I really appreciate that renaming so many terms in in the medical field are kind of disparaging to women. And I think baby loss kind of re-empowers us uh, through that experience of not carrying a child all the way to full term. And yeah, just really making peace with her journey, owning her journey and using it as a service. So settle in and... Take from it what is meant to be taken, and please do share this story and this entire series with women who need to hear it, women who have and are suffering hard losses that aren't often spoken about in the mainstream, and they need to feel included, they need to feel seen, they need to feel like they're not alone. Please, please do share these stories with them. All right, I'll see you on the other side. All right, welcome, Meryl. Thank you. It's really good to have you here. 
We've had you in our community in the She School last year, and it's really nice to have you here joining us on on the podcast. Mm, thank you, and I love that you asked. So, <laughs> big, big gratitude for me too. Yeah, I love I love your work, and I know that you, know, you have a lot of of really powerful life experiences that have led you to do the work that you do and we'll we'll get into that but as you know we always start our women's circles here with a a personal sharing so that others can can feel you from afar and so that you can just feel yourself more fully in our circle so Meryl can you tell us where you're joining us from today and how you're feeling at the levels of your body heart and mind So I'm here at my home in Boulder, Colorado, and it's been a a rainy, stormy kind of few days, and I have four beautiful candles lit that I picked out, and a little altar set up with some of my favorite rocks and stones and fresh-cut flowers and eagle feather, owl feather, and picked two Soul Space Oracle cards. My friend Jen makes these beautiful cards that she sells on Etsy called Soul Space Oracles. And I picked two. And one is Listen, and the other is Held. Hmm. Um, so I'm sitting in a beautiful space. I feel peaceful today. I feel tired. Um, peaceful, humbled, grateful. And calm. And I would say, you know, as as I'm anticipating sharing some of my story, there's there's definitely a uh, a tenderness and a sadness in me too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And. I also want to share a little personal check-in. I don't usually do that for these interviews, but I mean, Meryl, as you know, I also uh, went through a similar loss to what you're going to be speaking about today, losing uh, my baby from my womb at around the same time that, you know, in the baby's development that, that you did. And I'm very much in the thick of my grieving process and I just, I want to name for you and for me and for all of us here that I don't know, I don't know how this is going to be for me. Um, mm. Since grief is so unpredictable, I don't, I might be okay. I might burst into tears. I, I yeah. don't know. Mm. Yeah, I so appreciate you naming that, Sarah. Just as you do, my tears are here too. So, yeah. Um, and I think that's actually part of the importance of naming naming that for a loss like this because baby loss is so unseen. So I think you naming that and me naming my tears that come up as a result is, is part of how we, we shift and change things and take it from underground yeah. to above ground. Yeah, I'm you know I'm really grateful that you're gonna share your story with us today. And one of the things that I've been so struck by 
Well, actually, last year, last year when I was recovering from a betrayal uh, from a former fiance, and then this year with with losing my baby, is like how many women have experienced these things? Yep. And it just in the past weeks, most of the women that I've told have said that they that they had also lost a baby at some point. And that's just astounding to me because I just, I didn't know. Exactly. I didn't know it was so common. And the same with last year was, you know, when I was healing from a betrayal, I, you know, I just didn't, it's, these, these are things that really go unspoken by so many women. And I'm really grateful that we can give voice, uh, give voice to some of those stories here. I agree. I agree fully. Yeah, and it actually really riles me up um, when I think about it on a deep level of why is that? Why is it that so many women suffer in silence from things like this? Yeah. And I can only think that, um, you know, uh, it is part of a bigger picture of, of the patriarchy and the culture that hush-hushes pieces related to women's blood and women's bodies and um, that's unfortunate and I feel really strongly about changing that yeah me too so with that there's also a timing to sharing our stories and knowing when that right time is for each of us I know that you, you know, you shared with me that you lost two babies. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us, can you tell us about that? Yeah, so, um, it's such an enormously long story. It's one of those things that I wish we had hours where I could be sitting yeah. with a bunch of women on a floor and a couch and be drinking tea wrapped in blankets. But, um, I can say that so I'm 46 now, and when I was 40, I was not with a partner at the time. I had decided that I was going to set off on the trajectory to become a single mother and do so through donor sperm. Right around that time, I met a man, and very quickly into our dating experience, I was very transparent with him about where I was in terms of my fertility and my desire to become a mother. And amazingly, he was on board. And um, we set off to try to make a baby. And within three months, I was pregnant, which was really quite amazing, especially because there's so much out there Women being called in the medical world elderly when we re, I think we hit a certain age over 36 as far as fertility is concerned. So I want to also dispel the heck out of that myth. Anyways, um, I was elated. I was, was, was beyond happy and was carrying on with my pregnancy quite well. Um, was one of the happiest pregnant women in terms of even though I was sick and throwing up a lot and couldn't stand the smell of most things, I celebrated every bit of my morning sickness because this is something I wanted so deeply. And 
um, was working with a midwife at the time, and then one day, right around week, I had I had just finished my first trimester, maybe week 14, I um, started bleeding, and was actually in my therapist's office when this happened. Um, long story short, I called my midwife called my acupuncturist. Um, my acupuncturist assured me that I was not miscarrying. I was just spotting something in me. I'll never forget her saying to me, if a lot of blood comes, it is ominous. And a lot of blood came. And a lot of blood came. And a lot of blood came. And I knew that I was um, losing my baby. And for the next... 16 hours. I had no idea what I was in for. My midwife had told me that I could um, birth this baby at home, that my body would know exactly what to do. And while that is true, I went through the most horrific experience I've ever been through uh, with my partner there at the time, my then partner. And I birthed to death over the course of 16 horrific hours. Um, and what I can say is that um, while that was, without a doubt, the most traumatic and horrific thing that I've ever gone through, that particular miscarriage um, or baby loss, as I call it, Right at the end of the 16 hours when she had finally come out, I heard a, heard a voice that said, and I'm sure it was her, her name was Izzy, I named her, I heard a voice that said, there's so much space in here, it goes on and on and on and on and on, and it faded, and it was this dawning of peace that came over my body right after that experience, and lasted about an hour just in a in a really mystical experience. I think partially shock was going on, but um didn't last, but it was definitely a moment of grace in the whole story. That's the particular story of, of that miscarriage. And then of course there was mm-hmm. another one. Mm-hmm. Did you and that partner stay together? We did not. We um, we tried to make a baby after that for many, many, many months, and we um, were not successful. We even tried intrauterine um, IUIs through artificial, or not artificial insemination, um, assisted reproductive technology, but we're unsuccessful with that, and then ultimately our relationship ended, I think, uh, that was part of the reason why was just the the unbelievable stress of trying to make a baby and yeah. fertility issues. And then I was single and I tried for another almost a year, over a year with donor sperm on my own mm-hmm. and um, picked a donor from a, from a sperm bank in California and the sperm would arrive in a, in a device that looked like R2D2 in a freeze, uh, forget like uh, on some sort of ice and I would go to the clinic and pray and wait those two weeks and I really truly went through the journey of uh, fertility challenges 
I don't call it infertility. Mm-hmm. I call it fertility challenges. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I met my next partner. And right before I met him, I had decided that I was ready to pursue IVF as a single woman. And my body really, really didn't want to do IVF. When I would vision into it, I would get an image of a of a little girl standing by a curtain screaming, no, and pulling at the curtain like she didn't want to let go. But my desperation and my desire to be a mother was so strong that I decided to go ahead and, and do IVF. So I ordered all of $4,000 worth of drugs, which is only a small portion of what IVF costs. And boom, I meet my next partner and <laughs> similar story. I shared like, hey, I want to let you know this. I'm heading into becoming a single mother, IVF. And he said, I want to do this with you. And I want to be a dad too. And I had fallen in love with this man. And we set off on the trajectory. And very similarly, now at 43 years old, I got pregnant very quickly. So again, dispelling the fertility myth. Even though doctors said to me, you're not going to be able to get pregnant, I did, uh, again. And um, similarly, deeply, deeply elated about this baby. And um, right around 12 weeks, I went in for an ultrasound with my partner, same doctor with whom I had worked before, and I will never forget, I I laid on that table, Sarah, and doctor and his nurse and my partner holding my hand, and they're looking at the ultrasound, and they're looking at the screen, and nobody's saying anything. Mm-hmm. And I just knew it. I just knew mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And my doctor who was such a deeply compassionate man who had actually done surgery to remove a uterine fibroid so that I could get pregnant, um, who during right before that surgery had said to me as he massaged my feet, Meryl, I want you to repeat after me, I intend to be a mother. So this compassionate man, this wonderful doctor, he just looked at me and he had tears in his eyes and he said, oh, Meryl, I'm so sorry. I'm afraid you're going to be having another miscarriage. Mm. And um, I I lost it, absolutely lost yeah. it, wailing and screaming on the table oh, yeah. there. Yeah. And with that miscarriage, I, I absolutely refused to go through what I went through the first time. So I chose a yeah. DNC procedure at the hospital, which ironically, horrifically, um, they were doing construction on the hospital wing, and I had to go through my DNC on the labor and delivery unit. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I wrote a long letter wow. to the hospital about that one. Jeez. Yeah. Not sure what to say. <laughs> yeah, me too. Holding my womb and just taking some breaths. Yeah, me too. 
And I'm thinking about those two babies, Izzy and Rosalino, who is a boy. Mm-hmm. Which to me is implicitly important in baby loss to name that baby. I don't care how newly pregnant a woman is. When, when we become pregnant, we become a mother. Everything changes. And whether we lose a baby at four weeks or 15 weeks or nine months, six months, those babies are, um, you know, in my, in my belief, and this isn't a pro-life, um, <laughs> pro-choice about when does life begin. It's about, um, becoming a mother, even though in my case, I'm a mother without children. I, I mothered. Yeah. yeah. I don't have any other children. Yeah. And so for you, after your second, you know, losing your second baby, did you, was that just the end of your, of your journey of mm-hmm. trying to get pregnant and carry a child or what, what happened No, I mean, amazingly. That? The, I think the will that we women, some of us carry around wanting to become a mother, it's, it's, um, it's not easily sated. It's biological and my drive, it's amazing to me that grief can be that intense and all encompassing and still not get in the way of, I need to be a mom. So we tried and tried and tried again and again and again to get pregnant and um, were not successful. And then at that point, my then partner um, informed me that he no longer wanted to keep trying to be a parent. Mm -hmm. And I was once again put in that position of making a choice to become a single mother and end the relationship or stay with him. Mm -hmm. And I chose the latter. Um, I did not want to be a single mother. And lo and behold, that relationship ended. My heart got very, very broken. Um, That relationship ended. And I, at that point, was 44, almost 45. And I uh, went through a, a deep, deep reckoning with my soul around adopting a child I have a, a good friend who owns an adoption agency and ostensibly said to me, you know, Meryl, I could I could help you get a child tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And when I would really, really tune into the question of single motherhood, my answer was just a no. So that mm-hmm. I continue to ask myself the question, check in with myself from time to time, and I've done a lot of deep work around the question. And I... Um, I have chosen not to. I've chosen to um, to live my life without being a mother to a live baby. And yeah. there's a lot of grief in that for me. And it also feels really right. Just not interested in uh, doing it on my own. And I have a pretty amazing quality of life, I have to say. So, yeah. You know, lots of other friends of mine envy what I've got, but the grass is always greener. Right. And I feel good in my choice now. I really do. But that did not come without a tremendous amount of soul-searching and deep, deep, deep grieving. 
Can you tell us about the grief? Oh, yeah. I sure can. Um, I am a, I consider myself a really deeply spiritual woman. I have a strong relationship with my spiritual practices and the unseen world and the unseen realm. And I can say that after my second miscarriage, I had a pretty violent break with spirit. My grief was mm-hmm. so huge. I came home from the hospital after that DNC. Actually, it might have been after the ultrasound. My partner and I came home, and I destroyed my altar. I mean, destroyed it. I took everything and threw it and screamed and raged. Yeah. I was so angry, so angry. You know, how how is it that a woman like me who wants this so badly doesn't get to have this when a 15-year-old girl high on God knows what is bursting baby after baby. Yeah. So my grief took the form of tremendous, tremendous rage um, initially. And thankfully, I never felt badly about that. I recognized enough from uh, my studies that grief, as as my big hero, I mentioned him in our last call a year ago, Francis Willer says, grief is feral. It's wild. It's untamed. And I allowed that. So, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote a ton about grief, talked about the different stages of grief. And I don't necessarily see that they happen in stages. I think they happen in and out concurrently. That's the wild, unwieldy ride of grief. But I I allowed anger and despair and depression and denial and acceptance and bargaining, um, which is what Kubler-Ross talked about. I, um, I made sure to include a whole lot of... Um, a whole lot of ritual, which I can get to more in my grieving process, including um, burying my first baby with a group of my dear friends. We, we, I wrapped her in um, my grandmother's clothing, uh, my grandmother who has passed, and brought her up to a spot that is very near and dear to me, illegally, <laughs> in Boulder, and we did a we did a funeral i um i went through hell sarah i went through absolute mm-hmm. hell in my grieving process mm-hmm. i mean to be quite honest mm-hmm. i allowed myself to wail and at one point asked for my girlfriends to come over and it was one of the hardest things i've ever done but one of my teachers who recently passed abonfu some really taught me about being a grief um a grief warrior as i call myself and she in her tradition the daguerre tradition in uh Burkina Faso Africa they have grief rituals in their community every day because they see that grief is a natural part of life and that unexpressed grief is what leads to sickness in communities and in people so um Having participated in several Daguerre-style grief rituals with Sabanfu over the years, 
I needed my girls. I needed my community to come over. And I knew that I was going to be extraordinarily messy. And they came and I laid on the ground and I moved and I wailed and I screamed and I cried and I got witnessed in that and held. And it was extremely uncomfortable, but it was also very helpful. Mm-hmm. I also had my beautiful, beautiful mother come out. She did one of the most wonderful things, and this was right after the fact. I couldn't do much. I was so depressed, and she took me to the nursery, and we bought a bunch of plants, and she got me in the earth, mm-hmm. and we planted. still have those plants here, and I uh, made art, a lot, a lot of art. I um, wrote poetry, wrote a a very intense poem called Descent Away from Motherhood. And I've been, you know, I I commit to telling my story to people, to educating others. That's why I was so glad when you asked me to be Mm -hmm. on this call. Will you read that poem for us? I will. It's a doozy. I'll just let you all know that. Okay, this was written September 21st of 2011. I'm thinking about the insects that crawl into discarded dead shells of once life to live, to find shelter, and I feel this is me. I am within an empty, hollow silence of dead stillness where nothing moves. So vacuous, I'm not even sure I'm alive. I'm descending into a gaping dark hole whose sides I have known quite well as I'd grasp onto them so I could at least see the light and breathe the air above. But never, oh never, ever have I tumbled so deeply down, so achingly slow like a drugged earthworm into black cold earth where it goes and goes, and I fear it will never stop getting deeper. Tonight, Seth, with tears in his genuine eyes, lovingly caressing mine, promises me empathically that at the bottom of this hole, I will meet myself again, forever changed, as I've never known myself before. And I wonder if the people that love me now will still be there for me, will still want me and love me in this different form, shattered by grief and descent into solitude, and in a form that is not who they have known. Already I am forever changed, and the result thus far is shockingly sobered, enrobed in a gaze out of embittered, flat, dark eyes, that I don't recall the experience of a smile, and I don't know how this is all for the best, as people keep telling me. All I know is that I am marked with this rite of passage on my forearms, in my hollow, darkened womb, over my sore, sore heart, that day after day wakes with the literal feeling of being stabbed. I am now in lineage with women who have lost babies in their bodies and have birthed the blood and tissue and matter of death. And right now I feel pale and shrunken outside and inside, and I wonder if I am walking with the dead. I feel untethered to the ground, to anything and anyone, like a waif who will be blown away. In an instant, by the slightest breeze, even one that is warm, and I feel more translucent than a piece of weathered rice paper ripped in the harsh winds, a storm blowing away into nothingness. What if no one will know where I have gone? 
A husk slowly crusting from my heart falls to the ground, but I can't bend down to pick it up because I don't fucking care. I don't give a fuck about anything except that I'm lost, and I've lost my baby, this dream, and I don't have the energy to care, to bend, to smile, to eat right now. I don't know who I am right now, except I know I am a mother. I lost my baby. I am a grieving woman who just weeks ago had a life burrowing in my body, had breasts that were ripening with growing milk and veins that transported life and a roundness to my belly and my heart and my soul, because finally, oh, finally, I had arrived to the front of the line to my life purpose, finally it was my time to believe that I could have my dream come true well on my way, warm mommy skin, warm mommy heart. But the world feels cruel sometimes, and I probably shouldn't have believed because it was too good to be true, and I got slammed to the ground and my baby plucked away. And now my breasts have shriveled back and I can't stand looking at them in the mirror And I wince when I look or lotion them. I hate what I see, and I cry silently when my lover sucks on them. And I can't watch him do so because they are cold and small, and they are no longer sustaining life. My body feels worn and withered. My skin is chilled like bitter snow in my mouth. I am linear now. I am linear. I don't know whose hand to hold or where I am going, except inward and inside out, alone, alone, deeper and deeper into this hole where I pray, please come find me, please hold me, someone, something, hold myself, myself. Mm. Wow. powerful Meryl it is Sarah and I you know I want to say to you and to every woman it's like I I wrote that what in 2011 and I never thought it would be any better than that and Mm -hmm. um, there's just such a, a refreshment that comes from honoring that version of myself um, that was pretty obviously catapulted into the darkness and seeing where yeah. I am now. Yeah. So what do you feel has helped you the most get from there to where you are now? Yeah, I think so many things. I think um, I gain a lot of inspiration from from stories and even where whether or not somebody considers themselves religious or not, you read the Bible and there is story after story after story of people suffering and you know screaming and calling out to God to spirit and so I think for me, part of what's helped has been accessing stories, other people's stories about grief and triumph. I, um, again, believe so firmly in the importance of deep, deep expression of grief, whether it is through um, pieces that I already explained what I did with girlfriends, with ritual. Um, For me, the art making process is really, really important. After my second loss, I created what's called an altered book 
where you take a book and you essentially turn it into an art piece and alter the entire thing. And I made an incredible piece of art that over the course of six years that tells the story of my journey to become a mother and the way it turned out. I even included some of my blood in that book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, from those losses. And I um, have shown that piece of work in a couple of uh, different venues, but it tells my story visually and otherwise. So that really, really helped um, participating in grief rituals that Sabanfu Somme had offered was extremely helpful. And really, you know, telling my story, being able to tell my story. And then the last thing I think is, well, not the last thing, is I really believe that it can be pretty easy to get caught in a well of grief and never come out if we don't do something valuable with it. And I see grief as a form of social action. So for me, once I was grieved enough to really ask myself the question, okay, what now? What do I want to do with this? I realized that part of my job on this planet is to help other women who have gone through baby loss, whether those losses are from miscarriage, abortion, stillbirth, um, mothers who expected to adopt a baby and then the baby is gone, mothers Mm -hmm. who have lost a baby out of the womb. and I decided that I needed to start writing. So I've been working on a book for mothers without children mm-hmm. that tells not just my own story, but interviews many, many women from from different experiences around their stories and then adds um, a lot about healing from my knowledge, both personally and professionally as a somatic therapist and art therapist. So mm-hmm. the writing part has been extraordinarily important. Yeah, and we're actually, I'm including the interview that I did with you last year for the She School in the Healing from Heartbreak course about, oh. we talked about art therapy and grief and anger. So, yeah, you shared a lot of really valuable tools in there uh-huh. about that process. Yeah. You know, there's another piece here that... um <laughs> Might be a little bit edgy to say, but I feel like I can, which is I also am unabashedly, um, I mean, people who know me wouldn't be surprised about this, but I'm going to say it like it is. And so I'm amazed at how often I get asked the question, do you have children? And I say no, and they say why? And I could certainly present those people with a really well-polished, nice, neatly packaged, comfortable answer, or I could tell the truth. And I'm committed to telling the truth, so I do, even if people don't know me. I was just at the gym the other day and ran into an old acquaintance, and he said to me, why don't you have kids? And it's such an assumption. And I said, well, I tried, but I lost two babies. And I don't do that to to make somebody feel uncomfortable or for shock. I do that because it's a fucking reality. Not all yeah. women get to have live babies. Not all women get to birth mm-hmm. babies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that just feels like the part of me that comes from a social action bent that wants to educate other people. 
I love that. Yeah. I agree because I think it's just, it's just such a, a mold that we as women are raised into. It's like to be a mother, to be a mother, to be a mother. And mm-hmm. yeah, some of us, we don't get to become mothers and some of us, we don't want to be mothers. And where's, you know, where, where's the place? Where's our place in the circle? Exactly. Um, yeah. Where's your place in the circle? I think that's really well said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you and I have, you have recently joined a lineage too. You're a mother without children at this point in your life. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Meryl, how do you feel like you've become a better, stronger woman and human being as a result of these baby losses? You know, gosh, it's always a question that I get asked. Um, how do I feel like I've become a better and stronger woman? I know suffering from the inside out. I mean, to go through a physical miscarriage like I did uh, for 16 hours to birth a dead baby, for one, I want to say my body can handle just about anything. You know, my body didn't have the endorphins kicking that a woman who's birthing a, a live baby can. So when I say I know suffering from the inside out, I really, really do on the physical level. And I think because I, in, in some ways, didn't really feel like I had a choice about grieving. It's just the way I am. I uh, I feel things so deeply. I'm not one of those people who can compartmentalize, and sometimes I wish I were, but I need to feel. And because I let myself feel, I really feel like I um, I squeezed it all out. And... You know, I sat with a friend about a year ago who had moved away, who had known me during the I want to be a mother phase where I was pretty myopic. It's everything to me. And mm-hmm. he was so shocked, Sarah, that he was like, I can't believe how what a different place you're in. I just mm-hmm. I felt really resolved around I'm not going to be a mom and I'm OK with that. And it's yeah. really sad. And I think that it's because I really deeply did my work. I really deeply did purge. And um, that in and of itself means that I don't feel like there's any residue left in there that is uh, potentially toxic to my system. Right. And I feel like what's left is a deep story and a lot of sadness and a fire in my spirit. And I, not surprisingly, get women in my practice now who don't even know this, but um, are going through similar journeys, whether it's Mm -hmm. fertility challenges or baby losses. So I'm, I'm so well positioned to help them. And there's nothing I want more than to have that, Uh, be the case for people that I really get it I really really get it I don't think that um, you know I have a a lot of people will say to women who are going through baby losses 
um, especially situation like mine, so many women who were mothers who have children at home but who have gone through a miscarriage say things to me like, oh, I know how you feel. But the truth is they don't because they've got children at home or a child. Yeah. Yeah. I really get it. I really get it. So, um, I feel, um, I feel, you know, poised to really, really help women and that feels amazing to me and to help men also to understand the gravity of the losses. So what do you most want women to know who are grieving um, something similar right now, whether it's like just just happened or it was a long time ago, or maybe they never came to peace with the fact that they couldn't be a mother? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what I would want them to know, you know, immediately, Sabanfu of blessed memory, my dear teacher, would come, and in her culture, this would be common, but she would... I would say, I'd look in their eyes, just like she would look in mine. Keep grieving, Sarah. Keep grieving. Have you grieved enough today to really see grief as a daily practice? Really see grief as a daily practice. Um, and to not, I mean, I, I wish that there are a way that we could switch that grief is something to be afraid of to something that is actually a really good friend. It's 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 important. It's not going to go away. So move with it, dance with yeah. it, keep grieving, and you know, let people love you. I mean, I think that's the other piece that I would say is let people love you, and whether that is a close friend or a family member or a support group on the internet or a therapist that we are not meant to go through any of these losses alone. And um, that's another piece that I really learned from the Saban Fusome and the Daguerre people is grief is something that is held within community. We're not meant to do it alone. And for women to not feel apologetic for their expression, for their emotions, for their anger, for their grief, for all of the emanations of it, to really allow it, whether it be writing or art or voice, however it looks, bringing it to nature, ritual, just keep grieving. Thank you so much, Meryl. And I know you're also going to, in the course, you're also going to share with us some specific rituals that have helped you over the years and Mm -hmm. I just so appreciate your contributing your story and all the tools and all the resources and all the wisdom that you've gathered as a result of of what you've lived. Thank you, Sarah. And I just want to say to you, I love what you're up to in the world, what you're doing out there and just woman to woman, friend to friend to also say to you something that um, the nurse, one of the nurses uh, during my second miscarriage wrote me a card, which was so beautiful. And I love what she said on it. Um, you know, instead of I'm sorry for your loss, which is I think what most people say, because we don't know what to say to somebody. She just said, may grief move as gently as possible. 
on your heart. And I want to say that to you too. Thank you. Heartbreak is mandatory, but transformation is a choice. If you're needing more support to navigate the alchemy that's possible within your own grieving process, please come on over and explore Healing from Heartbreak. In this four-week online immersion, I map out the three core seasons of heartbreak and how to weather each of them gracefully by extracting the wisdom you need from life's hardest lessons to emerge more whole, resilient, and joy-filled than ever before. Now, grief is neither an easy path, nor is it one that you need to walk alone. I've poured everything I've got into this course, from spiritual self-care to sisterhood, mentorship, Buddhist teachings, tools for emotional resilience, rituals, reprogramming core beliefs, and empowered life-visioning principles and practices. So whether you're healing from a recent heartbreak or one from months or years ago, you'll receive the support that you need through our community of women, our weekly classes and mentoring, and the exact practices you need to face each stage of your healing process. So that you don't just break down, you break through. You can learn more at thewayofthehappywoman.com forward slash healing dash from dash heartbreak. I'll be back again in a few days with our next interview. And until then, I'm sending you my heartfelt support. Thank you so much for being part of our sisterhood.